Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmer. Today's guest was born in Seoul and spent her childhood in Asia with her American diplomat parents. After a cello degree at Jacobs School of Music, she came to London to study with British cello star Jacqueline Dupree, got married and stayed. Alice has toured the world with the BBC Symphony and the Royal Philharmonic, but since COVID has become a full-time author. She is a London-based ghostwriter, has had two contemporary novels published by Orion Hatchett, an award-winning dystopian thriller published by UK's Underbound. Writing as Spalding Taylor and two Amazon category bestsellers with Worley House Press. Her first novel was optioned for filming by UK's Channel 4. Her Curtis Starr thriller was last week runner-up in the Independent Press Awards. And Susan, a Jane Austen prequel, winner of the Pencraft and Global Book Awards in the historical category, was a quarter finalist in Publisher Weekly's illustrious book life prize she has one daughter and an addiction to tennis be in welcoming alice mcveigh good morning oh hi how are you i'm good thank you alice how are you today i'm fine it's uh it's it's kind of evening here but almost but uh lovely to meet you in uh, perusing your website i see a few different books and i see some articles uh, that have you, you've written. It's Alice on Austin is one of them that I that noticed here. Yeah, what I am is a is a Jane Austen esque writer, and one that's done in two years pretty phenomenally successfully. I've won almost every prize available. Uh, that's pretty amazing. I'm really proud of that. Uh, but I didn't start off as late as I look because when I was young, like your sort of age, I was big five published. <laughs> by Orion Hatchett. So I have a lot of um, not only um, books of my own, only two of those, almost a hundred that I ghost wrote. So I did ghost writing in between. So basically when I had my, my family, I did ghost writing. And then I've come back to writing now that I'm 60. My career is in two parts. I came back rather weirdly uh, with a science fiction novel, which I never thought I'd ever publish because when I published uh, Big Five, I was contemporary fiction. And it was about my life as an orchestral cellist in London. So I was in London. I played in the, I'm still in London, uh, BBC Symphony Orchestra, Royal Philharmonic. Um, I, I traveled to over 40 countries with various orchestras. And that was my career. Mm -hmm. And then I got a little fed up with it, really. In my um, late 30s, I was also infertile at that point. I only yeah. just squeezed one kid out. Um, <laughs> but she's, she's amazing. She just won a um, presidential scholarship to Harvard. Oh, so I'm just beyond proud. Anyway, so the point is I only squeezed one kid out, but I was very depressed because I couldn't have a kid. So basically, um, I was traveling around the world trying to get pregnant with my husband, obviously. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, so basically, I, I, this was not working. This was really bad. This was really terrible. And so I got fed up and I decided I would write novels because my family's hugely literary. Everybody in my family writes. And my uncle was a scriptwriter in Hollywood and my father was a biographer and my mother is a famous editor. And so basically, I thought, no, I'll just try writing instead of playing cello. And so I was really lucky. And I was 30 six no 37 and I finished a novel about playing in orchestras 
in London. I did use some people I knew, but not many, and I disguised them. And I sent it off to three agents. I was so naive, I only picked three. And one of them uh, took, me, took me up on it and accepted me. And within a month, I had a three-book contract with Orion. You couldn't make it up. These days, it would never happen. I, a completely untried writer, just some cello player. You know, and anyway, so basically it was, it was, it was just like a weird uh, coincidence of luck, but my luck kind of ran out. The first one was number 35 in the UK bestsellers. The second one was number 70 in the UK bestsellers and one uh, year contract for film rights with Channel 4, but that didn't happen. It normally doesn't happen, by the way, but still it was good to have and it was extra money for nothing. And then the third one, I got so depressed because I couldn't get pregnant, that I, I didn't finish it. So Orion fired me. Oh, my. Well, this happens. It happens. I mean, it really happens. And at the time, you know, I wasn't too upset because as soon as they fired me, I got pregnant. Oh. I was and yeah, exactly. It's a good story, but it also happens to be true. I, I finally got pregnant. Not just a story. Well, the story is. The story is I thought I'd given up all hope of getting pregnant and put everything into my books. And then suddenly I lost my books and I got pregnant. Anyway, never mind. So, so that was, that's kind of the story of, of my writing, really. And then when Rachel went away to university, Oxford, I got interested in writing again. I've been writing right, right the way along, but not for me. I've been writing, I've been ghostwriting. I'm, I happen to be really, really good at writing as other people. And that's why I've won all these awards as Jane Austen as fiction, because I can apparently, according to Publishers Weekly, write like Jane Austen. They wrote the prose and plotting are pitch perfect Jane Austen. And that's Publishers Weekly. So I can do it. I can write like anybody. In fact, I'm a chameleon. So the point is that I did that instead. But then when my daughter went away to university, I thought, hang on. It's about time I wrote for me again. And that's how come I am. Wow. What attracted you to write, ghostwrite, number one, but to write like Jane Austen in the first place? Well, I first I did ghostwriting. And the reason I did ghostwriting was I waited so long to have my daughter. And I only had one. And the moment I squeezed her out, I had the menopause. I was 40 when I had the menopause. So basically, I knew I wasn't going to have any more kids. I wanted to be there for her. And if you if you ghostwrite, you have much more freedom to do what you want, really. And I didn't have much confidence then after my disaster with, with Orion. So basically, I just thought, no, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to ghostwrite and make money out of writing and not worry about being artistic or anything, you know. Right. So at that point, that was where I was with it. In terms of Austin, and this came back to when I came back to writing for me, being artistic for me, I've been a life member of the Jane Austen Society since I was 23, but she was always my favorite writer. And as I say, I'm a chameleon. I could write like Tolkien if I wanted to. Any writer I really love, I can get into the feel of. And that was what ghostwriting did for me when Rachel was young. She was young and I wanted to be with her. I didn't want to play cello all over the world. I just wanted to be with her because I'd waited so long. And so I just thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this ghostwriting thing. And my agent really helped me. She's, I, I, I won't name her. She's not my agent anymore, but she was amazing. And she had all these contacts. And so 
I did some pretty starry ghostwriting, and that was really good. I see that there's sci-fi as well, Last Star Standing. The contrast between it and the Jane Austen. How do you find, like, I know you said you're pretty much a chameleon and you can ghostwrite, but this is your own writing. This is you're putting your own name on these. Like, there's quite a, a diversity can I just say that that is an amazingly brilliant question and most people never get to it. Uh, let me explain a little bit about the reason for, for Last Star Standing. As I said, I stayed home and I ghost wrote, but that didn't mean I stopped developing as a writer. In fact, I developed even more chameleon around with all these people. And one of the things which happened to me at that stage was I discovered that I was ADHD. Ah. <sighs> And I wanted to explore that big time. And I didn't have enough nerve to explore it in my own person. So instead, I put it all into my hero, Aiden, of Last Star Standing. He was ultra ADHD. And it really was a release for me. It was a massive release for me. And I've, I've just, I've come to life since I've been diagnosed because apparently I'm 96% ADHD, which is much oh, higher than most people. They started me off with Elvance on on 50%, uh, sorry, 50 milligrams. And I would have stayed on that, except that it, it sent my uh, pulse too high. So I've gone Ooh. down to 30. But because of that, I now completely feel uh, like, well, I feel happy for the first time in my life. And I was diagnosed in my late 50s. And that is really late. So they've just recently got this sorted out for you? Okay, so writing with ADHD. Yeah, there has to be some challenges. There has to be some successes in it. I mean, I mean, the works, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Susan. That's oh, bless you. I didn't know you'd read it. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I actually, very I I'm very honored. Susan, Susan is my trump card. It seems to win everything. Just yesterday, it won a new award. Nice. Um, whatever I put it in for, it wins. Um, I still think Harriet is the better book. And I think my next one is going to be even better. But Susan wins, I think, because it's not derivative at all. You can't say Harriet, for example, is, is Emma from Harriet's perspective and Jane Fairfax's perspective. So it's very dependent on Jane Austen. I made Susan up myself. And I think that really impresses the judges. They just go, oh, my God, you went with Jane Austen. And she made it up. Yes, give her the gold medal. And and this is very exciting for me. But but um but yeah, I sort of I, I sort of stick up for Harry. Anyway, um yes, I, I I feel I feel completely freed because I feel as if all these years I was I, I had a lot of trouble concentrating because of ADHD. Um I had a lot of trouble with with my temper because of ADHD. I was basically yeah super ADHD and and I just feel suddenly completely freed and this is just really wonderful so so thank you for saying that about Susan I, I mean it's it's a book that will always mean so much to me yeah uh, I can imagine the frustration that uh you know or the anger that might come out of the frustration in dealing with the ADHD especially with the complexities of writing such a delicious book I mean Susan why did you call it a prequel 
Well, Lady Susan is very little known. You probably haven't even heard of it. Most people haven't. But Lady Susan is a book that, that Jane Austen wrote before she wrote anything else, really. And she was slightly ashamed of it in later life and sort of pretended it didn't happen. But it was a novella, not a proper novel, of about 40,000 words about a really wicked woman, someone you and I would not necessarily like, um, who was 35, who kept stealing other women's husbands and having affairs. <laughs> I imagined, because I was always rather fascinated by Lady Susan, that when she was 16, she wasn't wicked. She was just kind of mischievous and kind of a matchmaker in a sort of Emma-type mold. And that was what I went with. And and uh, that's what was the inspiration. Let's talk about the setting in this, because if you're, if you're into the Jane Austen-type novels and if you're into the setting that you developed Susan and all the characters in, uh, I, I think they'll just be thrilled with this read. Thank you. That's really kind. I, I think, I think it, it was, it was a kind of um, inspiration. And as I say, a kind of esprit and my daughter had left home and suddenly I felt as if I didn't need to drive her everywhere. I didn't need to take her. Or I didn't need to worry about her. And I suddenly felt like, Oh, I can write for me again. And then on top of that, I got my diagnosis. And so, yeah, it is, it is a very special book to me. Now, I'm hoping, I'm hoping Darcy will be as well because Darcy is coming out in June and Darcy is, is my take which I really resisted doing on, of course, Pride and Prejudice, which is everybody's favorite book. And I just get so fed up with his, with there being everywhere Pride and Prejudice variations and Pride and Prejudice and zombies and Pride and Prejudice and every bloody thing. And I just thought, I'm not going to go. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. And then I think, no, hang on. This is the elephant in the room. If I'm doing, if I'm winning all these prizes as being the Jane Austen-esque, whatever it is, I can't leave out. And also, I love it. So I thought I'm going to do, which other people have done, uh, it from Darcy's perspective. And I did it from Darcy's perspective, but in a slightly unusual way. And I just hope it works. Um, and I just sent it off to my editor last week, and it's coming out in June. So I really hope that people who do like Susan and Harriet will, will give it a go. This is the trilogy completed, though I did say I'd write six, and I still might, because I've got a great idea for the fourth one, which, again, is a bit more offbeat. But at the same time, there's part of, I, I, I do get lovely letters from people saying, when is, have you finished with Aiden? What about a, a sequel to The Last Star Standing? And I'm going, I can't do everything, help. You know, um, but anyway, there you go. That's where I am with it. So it's, it's set in, in the 1800s, correct? Yeah. And in England, yes, specifically for, for for Susan, are they all in that in that? They're all between eighteen oh five and eighteen fifteen. Mm -hmm. And all in England, or do we travel a bit? We get to travel to Rome in Darcy. Oh, but mostly it's set there the same way as Jane Austen set hers there. Um, and what I'm trying to do is. And I just hope she will forgive me for this. I'm just trying to take it a little bit further. For example, no, I'm not going to say that because that's a spoiler. I'm not going to say that. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to. I think Jane Austen. She was a way better writer than me. She's a way better writer than anybody. But in one respect, I am 
better than she is. I've been married for a long time. I've had a kid. This is a woman who's a spinster, and she didn't really have any firsthand experience of men. And I think that is something that I am able to add something to. I never had a son. I'm hoping never son-in-law, but uh, who knows where, how that would go. But the point is that um, I never had a son, but I know a lot about men. And, um, you know, and I just think that in that regard, I can add a little bit extra. So now things have changed a little bit for you, though, because not only are you you're still ready, but you're back back to playing the cello again. Or you've never really left it, have you? You just stopped traveling all over the world. Is that how that goes? I basically when Rachel was born, I gave up the cello professionally for about three years. I wanted I so wanted her. I just didn't want to play. Um, I didn't want to leave her, basically. Um, when she got a little older, when she was, she's 24 now, um, when she got to about 11, um, I did tour again. I mostly toured on the Baroque cello, and that was when I played in Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center. It was on the Baroque cello, which is the early cello. Um, so I did do that because by then my husband could be home in the evenings and look after her. Um, so I could do that. But yeah, I did. I'd sacrifice some amount on the cello. But I don't want you to imagine that I'm some kind of Jacqueline Dupre, you know, who I came to England to study with. I was always an orchestral cellist. I was not a solo cellist. I was always, and my whole life has been a kind of tussle between writing cello, writing cello. And yeah. I think it's, uh, if I'd stuck to one or the other, <laughs> it might have been easier. But um, But there you go. That's life. I don't believe sticking to one thing is something with ADHD that's easy to do. It's hard with ADHD. That's absolutely true. Especially if you've got rampant ADHD and it's very late diagnosed. For example, I was told I was stupid for years and years and years. And I've never been stupid. But I am very, very stupid at subjects I don't care about. And so I got a D in physics. I got a C in maths. You know, and my family was just going, she's dumb. Um, and it was all very tough, yeah. But I'm not alone in this. I think very often if you're a woman, you get not taken seriously because you're not bouncing off the walls. You're just suffering, really. Yeah, and I think this is a fantastic month to be talking about this, too, because there's several things going on this month. In addition, here in Canada, like I know you're not in Canada, but... No. Um, I don't know if it's across the world that it's mental health month for May. I mean, this is being recorded in May. I do help. I hope to um, deliver it in May uh, just because it's, it's relevant to topics that, that what we're talking about is relevant to what's going on in May. But there's also, they call it the week of SPED, autism, dyslexia, ADHD, acceptance which I think doesn't get talked enough about. And maybe, Alice, we could talk about this a little bit because it's neurotypical. And I'm not sure if that term is something that you're familiar with or used a lot or heard a lot, but it, the learning part, academically, socially, it's harder. Um, yeah. Because, you know, your peers maybe don't experience learning challenges and, and interaction challenges the same way. No, I completely agree. And this is, this is it sort of dogged me my whole life, really, um, because I have such extreme ADHD in both varieties um, that I, I never realized it until I was in my 50s. And my friend who was an energy healer 
and I'd, I've been through Jungian therapy, Pineian therapy, um, CBT. I've, I've been through so many things and nothing had ever worked for me. And she just sat me down one day and she said, Alice, you're not going to like this, but you've got ADHD. And I just laughed at her. I said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. This is my nephew bouncing off the walls at age nine. This is not me, a mature writer cellist in her 50s. And, and she said, right, just go look it up. Just go Google it. And when I did, I was just in tears. I was in tears. I suddenly realized I had the key to my whole life. And it was just a revelation. And I do feel that women especially have this really hard because we tend to cover up and we tend to compensate. And we tend to compensate really well because we can be really intuitive and kind of get away with seeming like we're completely normal. But in fact, in fact, we're even less normal sometimes than the, than the nephews bouncing off the walls, you know, and, and it's, it's, um, it's been a revelation. Yeah, a, a tremendous amount of effort and a lot, a lot of pain that has probably gone by in, in trying to figure out how to cope with something that was really kind of undefined, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with, we brought up the topic of women, maybe um, having this undiagnosed more so than... Apparently that's true, yes. There are statistics on that. Do you think that maybe it's because we, we are... There's a lot of expectations and there have been a lot of expectations to be able to take on and juggle so much that uh, we're just so used to putting in a tremendous amount of effort that maybe it gets overlooked. I think so, but I also think we're better at it. This is one of the things which when you were talking about Jane Austen, I do think that she sometimes underrated men. She instinctively knew that women are a little bit more intuitive and some of her men are a little bit, anyway, what I feel is that I think that we compensate because we're so naturally into feelings and naturally into people and naturally into understanding feelings. So even if you're ADHD, even if you're absolutely in a storming temper, you're less likely to, to completely disgrace yourself than a bloke, uh, a guy with ADHD is. And I think that to that degree as well, I think it's, I think it's, um, I think, it's both easier and harder for women with ADHD. It's easier to cover up. I covered up for decades and it's easier to compensate for, but it's harder to deal with because people are less likely to take you seriously and yeah. to think there is a problem here, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that is, that is an issue. Well, it's fantastic that you found the gifts and, and you could lean into them, you know, to lean into those gifts and talents that you do have. Because I think that there's probably some grace in having found that because a lot don't actually find a gift. They're too no, challenged. That's in that. I think that's absolutely true. And some people find it out too late. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm thinking about my dad a lot recently. He, um, his birthday is tomorrow. It should be tomorrow. But he died a year and a half ago. And he had ADHD. More than me, I think. We always clashed. We always, we, we loved, I was, you know, devoted to my father, but we always clashed. We always had these, these mega things. And when I got diagnosed, the first thing I heard, the second thing I heard was, it's 50% inheritable. I thought, oh my God, obviously. I dared to tell him, but he never believed me. He never believed me. Oh. And 
I just think had he been luckier, he was a writer as well, a biographer, it would have helped him no end. And yeah, I was too late, almost, and he was definitely too late, and now he's gone. So I, I do think, I do think um, it's not all just women being suffering, it's also men as well. Sure. Yeah. But like, like you say, men hiding it more so than, but too, when you maybe um, there's also depending on the age and the time and, and culturally uh, the label is not exactly. No. Stigma still, right. Not. We see we need to get rid of the stigma. Definitely not. And I still think that there's a, a, a thing which I really do object to that. It's a little kid bouncing off the walls and it's always the little kid is always male and i'm sure my father did bounce off the walls <laughs> when he was a little kid but when he was when he was in his 80s that was not the case and he still anyway i'm sorry for your loss i know what it's like to lose a dad it's um yeah yeah big hug it's a very special bond between father and daughter Maybe. Oftentimes, yeah, I'm grateful that I had one like that, and and happy birthday to, he, to him tomorrow. I mean, uh, I still celebrate my dad's birthday even though he's not here. So hopefully, you can find a way to do the same if that's something of interest to you. I really appreciate that. I think you've been so incredibly um, sympathetic. Yeah, you've shared some amazing things, and, and I want to be respectful in that. I mean, is there anything at all that you would rather not have? Um, made public? No, I'm absolutely in. Uh, this is this is a big change for me because I was diagnosed two and a half years ago, and I haven't mentioned it in public until this book, Darcy. Um, and it's taken me that long to be brave enough to say, "I've got it." Mm. You're the first, but you will not be the last. I've got some podcasts coming up where I will talk about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm determined to talk about it because I feel women, older women, you're not older women, I'm an older woman, um, need, to, need, to, need to accept that it could be true. So what tips would you have for, for anyone that might think this is them or, or as a writer, they're experiencing challenges and, and like you did, what would you share with them? I would say if you have any, if this podcast is, has opened anything up for you, you've got any little doubts about it, do what my, what my friend said to me and Google it and your heart will tell you before any expert does, if it is you. And if it is, then remember, it's not all bad. It really isn't all that. The thing about ADHD is we are a little out there, but that makes us even more artistic in some ways. So it's it's we can also hyper focus, which is really good. So in other words, when I'm writing, I mean the house could burn down. I wouldn't know anything about it. So in <laughs> other words, it is it is it is a double edged thing. It is it is at once a real disadvantage and a slight advantage in another way if you know so i would i would try to i would try to be completely honest and i would try to not fight it because i did fight it and and try to be open to whatever comes to you that's what i would say yeah thank you for that i don't know
Well, I look forward to sharing you and I look forward to seeing more of your writing come out. Uh, definitely. Yeah, you got Oh, I'll venture past Susan and to see what else I can <laughs> definitely will take in. Uh, the it's it's been brilliant talking to you. And I'm really glad it was you because I thought I said to my husband before I did this, I said, this is the first in interview where I'm going to talk honestly about the diagnosis. And he said, good luck. Yeah. What else can we share? What else do you think that would be helpful for, <laughs> for others? And given this month to bring awareness around it, what what else can we add? Knowing that you wanted to talk about it, there may have been some things that you considered discussing. Have we touched them? I, I would just say one thing more that I haven't spoken about. My daughter is incredibly amazing. As I said, she's about to do a PhD at Harvard. She's a presidential scholar. I still can't believe she's done so well because I think I was a terrible mother. I was on Prozac the whole time, so I was like a dead person walking I thought that was the answer so that I would be a decent mother in fact I'd have been a much better mother if I'd known about ADHD and been medicated for that instead I was clamped down so if you feel if you're a mom and you've got a young kid and or maybe several you might be really lucky I only got one um I would say investigate that because you just never know whether or not there might be a better way. I would just say that. Yeah. Well, what made, did, made you decide that Prozac might have been the answer then? Well, I kept losing my temper. <laughs> oh. That's what ADHD can do. Um, the two main ways it manifests itself with me is, one, I can't concentrate, and two, I lose my temper. Um, so unmedicated, that was difficult. Um, but... Uh, but yes, I, I wanted to be the best possible mother. I waited so long to be a mother. And that's why I went on Prozac, on my doctor's advice. She said, you know, if you really and truly want to be there for her and not to hold her back by being ratty, you know, this is what you need to do. And I think she was right as far as she knew, but she wasn't an ADHD expert. And I was pretty good at hiding it, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for being so open. No, about no. It. it helps anybody. I'll feel really good. Right. That yeah. will make my day. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway, yeah. thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. And I'm really, thank you for asking me on. And, um, and uh, yeah, all the best. Speak we'll get you. it out there, Alice. Thank you. And you have a note here that we're to send people just to your website to find out a little bit more about you and your books. Are you by any chance going to share articles on your website about ADHD and writing? I think I will, but I haven't yet. You're, yeah. you're the breaking news. You're the first one. Well, I'd be happy to add the link to the show notes. Should That's you fair. decide to add a yes, blog? Yes, I, I will definitely add the link. Yes, I will. Yeah. Thank yes, you. As long as I don't look too old. <laughs> 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 anyway thank you it's been it's been great talking to you have a wonderful day thank you so much all the best bye now bye we hope you've enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe like follow and share and we always love reviews until next time thanks for listening thank you visibility pod 
for all your services and management of our podcast. This episode is sponsored by Visibility Podcasts. Connect with Visibility Pod about visibility strategy, coaching, podcast tours, podcast production, platform building, content creation, and distribution. Your online presence matters. Mention this author interview to receive a discount. Get the help you need today. Email visibilitypodcasts at gmail.com. That's V-I-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com.